Blog Talk Radio. Radio Inside Edition here. This is February the 10th. We're at 2018. The year is already flying by. I can't believe, I mean, I think we just woke up Christmas morning, it seems like. But here we are now in February, starting to slowly maybe come out of uh, some winter weather here in California, at least, and hopefully get to the spring. Hope everybody is doing well. I'm your host, John Rob. Glad to have you all with us, however, wherever, whenever you listen to the show. we got 60 minutes for you today. Two fantastic authors. We're going to kick it off with author... Philip Donnelly, and he is going to be talking about his latest, which will come out March 8th. It is his 8th in his Donovan Nash series. It is called Speed the Dawn. And then we are going to hit it on over to best-selling author Brad Taylor. He's going to be talking about his next uh, Pike Logan thriller called Operator Down. So we got two explosive uh, writers kind of in the same genre writing about, so it's going to be interesting to Talk to both of them. Also, I'll let you know that all of our books are brought to you by Kensington Books, or all of our shows are brought to you by Kensington Books, so make sure you visit kensingtonbooks.com for more information on their writers and their works that they have coming out. Um, Check them out. So without any further ado, let's hit it off here with our guest. Again, he is author Philip Donnelly, and his latest book is called Speed the Dawn. It comes out March the 8th. So, Philip, we want to thank you for coming on. How are you doing? I'm good, John. Thanks for having me back. Um, oh, it actually comes out March the 6th, not March the 8th, so a little two days off. But, so whenever, if you're, li- whenever you're listening to the show, you just got to remember, if you're listening to it after March the 6th, you can get it now. You just, you know, kind of put a mark on your calendar. But now we are uh, in book eight here of your Donovan Nash series, Speed the Dawn is, uh, is this one. So why don't you give everybody a little taste about what you got going on? Well, with this book, and like you said, it's Donovan Nash number eight. Um, I had always wanted to to work around a forest fire. Um, Donovan Nash is the head of EcoWatch, and and they're kind of a rescue scientific organization. And I've dealt with hurricanes. There have been blizzards. There have been um, natural disasters. Are kind of a, a running theme in my books. Always wanted to do a forest fire. Um, about three years ago, I was in Montana in the summertime, and I was close enough to one to see the flames, and it it, it was yeah. impressive. So, um, I kind of set set the book up um, in the end of Aftershock, which was a book about volcanoes. I kind of set the stage for the for this book, Speed the Dawn, and I wanted to have a a, a, a fire, and because I write thrillers, it's got to be a really big fire, and I. Yep. Went through a lot of scenarios to figure out how to how to how to make this big and believable because the the best fiction I think comes from using as little fiction as possible. So I did all my digging, my research, and there's a there's a there's a thing called the Kessler effect, and it's about the overcrowding of the low Earth orbit satellites. That are around the planet because we just leave our junk up there, and because it's in space, right. it just stays there. So that was kind of the the nexus for this. And so it's um, we had a small meteorite come through, and it set off a cascading collisions with all this stuff. And now we've got thousands of burning hot pieces raining down over the western U.S. Monterey Peninsula takes the biggest hit. That's where Donovan Nash is. His wife Lauren McKenna, who's a She's a hotshot uh, MIT grad in earth science. She works for the Defense Intelligence Agency, and now they have to work to stop this fire, and it's a big one right off the bat, uh, before it moves all the way into the Bay Area, and San Francisco has its second major fire. So that's what's at stake. Um, it's, it's, it's fast moving, and the entire book takes place in 12 hours. Wow! So now that's that's some quick that's some quick thriller pacing right there. 
if you don't read it, like if you don't Should've use this book as the, <laughs> as the yeah, don't, don't use this one as the little fifteen minute you know book to read before you want to nod off because it it won't work. So yeah, that's uh, and it was just a blast. It was a blast to write. Um, I had more fun with this one. Um, I mentioned I was in Montana. What's also in Montana is the National Forest Service Fire Lab. And yeah. I mean the, the the junior high little geeky kid in me came out when I got to put on glasses and we went in the lab and and we made a fire tornado. And if you have a big enough fire and you have enough wind, that's what you get. And it was so cool and I got to incorporate that in the book. So if you've ever seen the movie Twister, just imagine one of those oh, yeah. only it's Jeez, and I mean they exist. And it was yeah. fun. That's one of the. It's almost one of the characters in the book is the fire. And of course, you know, I live in Southern California, and we had the Big Thomas fire, which the edge of that was about seven to eight miles away from our house. So we could, you know, we were we were dead in the smoke, and there were some fires that broke out no more than you know a mile and a half or so where we live on the mountains, and we could, you know, see it, and and you you kind of just see the glow. And you start hearing about that Thomas fire, which ended up being, I believe, now the largest in California history. And that thing was just, you know, crazy big. And the scariness of it is, you know, the one thing about the fire is that, that that's scary. Uh, you don't know where it's going to go. You don't know what it's going to do um, when the winds kind of shift and how those embers are going to kind of fly. So you always got to be prepared. So when you say it has a mind of its own, and it's its own character, that's the interesting part because to try to get into the mind of, like, a fire and what it's going to try to do, it's kind of exciting for, you know, that for an author to kind of have to try to do. That's something totally different. It's something that it's a character that doesn't talk. It, it doesn't show emotion. It doesn't have any, um, you know, bias towards anything. It just destroys, and that's what its job right. is. Right. Well, and there's a – and I, and I and I kind of came upon this with the very first book, which was Category Five, which is a hurricane. And mm-hmm. it was kind of motivated. I sat out a hurricane years and years ago on the East Coast, um, and I was helpless. I mean, the parking lot flooded. It was. I mean, it just it rained. It just blew, and I was. And there is a there is a a, a, a primal fear that's parked in the reptilian part of all of our brains that knows that that's bad. And I don't care if it's a hurricane, a tornado, a, a volcano, earthquakes, and fire. We we are, it's fight or flight. And I think that's an interesting element to introduce into the book, uh, in the books, and that Donovan Nash has to kind of, he has to kind of battle, um, battle those those emotions and and, uh, and try to help people. So it's a, it, it, again, I had a great time writing this book, and, and it, uh, I actually got to go and live and rented a house in, in Monterey Peninsula for a month because, you know, that's what writers need to do. And mm-hmm. I just had a great time. So great time. Happy author. Good book, I hope. <laughs> and so now you got eight books into the series under your belt, and Donovan has, you know, definitely uh, gone through a big gamut of change uh, in his life and, and throughout and throughout the books. So how, how, kind of, how have you kind of, like, seen how are, how are maybe, you know, older readers of your series going to kind of see, is, is this a different Donovan? Is this, you know, from, uh, from book seven? And, and when you find newer readers that kind of get into the series, what's one of the one things they kind of look at as Donovan as a character as he progresses through? Well, he, he does progress, and, and, and so have I. And that's kind of the, the interesting part, I think, is that he has – he was he we first met him and he was a man in a lot of turmoil and um he battled through that through each book and and then he kind of you know and he and we he's not as old as i am but i age faster apparently um so <laughs> you find out as you do. get a little older you you know, you know he's 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 fixes you know he's he's had this up and down kind of tumultuous relationship with Lauren and they're married and they have a daughter um there, you know, he's become a better man, I think, as he goes along. And, and I think that's, and I kind of maybe hope I have too, um, just as a result of aging. And so the what I find that's interesting from the readers is when he was having marital problems, as we all can have at time from time to time, 
there was it polarized readers and there were people that were there was team Lauren and there was team Donovan and it was mm-hmm. and they and the the email I got was they you know like these people were real to the to them and and they it's, and some of them yelled at me and it's like you need to fix this relationship <laughs> so it was it was interesting in that respect and uh, but all the characters have grown and there's some surprises in in Speed the Dawn. Um, there are I've gotten lots of questions about the, the, the second tier characters and and who knows what and what's going on and um, and I addressed some of that and I answered some questions and I think people will be surprised. You know that's always funny when. I hear people say, and and I heard a lot, and I'm just going to bring in uh, the latest Star Wars movie. You know, people are all worked up and whatnot because it didn't go the way they thought it should go. And the one thing that I always right. say is like, well, that's life. Characters don't act the way that you want them to. Because wouldn't that be so boring if they always acted the way that you wanted them to, because then you already know the ending and that's not any fun. So it's kind of like people emailing you saying you need to fix that relationship. Well, maybe it's just not going to get fixed. Maybe that's just the way it's going to go. And that's just the way it is. And I think that the unknown factor of not knowing what's happening is why you read the books. And just because it might not turn out the way that you want it to, it shouldn't mean it. It should be that's just the way that it is. Well, exactly, and I, you know, I don't think, and I don't feel like I need to to wrap everything up at the end of the books, and I and I right. don't, or you know, I, I will to a point where it's you know, it's not just it's not cruel, but there are you know, I'll leave things lingering because I think like because you might have a thread that'll go into movie. book nine and then book ten and book eleven. Exactly. I mean, you might have that exactly. thread. It doesn't always have to be and a I, dead ending. It can keep going. Yep. And I do, and I plant seeds along the way for, for future books. And like I said, Aftershock, um, the book Aftershock sets up Speed the Dawn, even though there's two other books in the middle. But mm-hmm. there's just there's, there, there are events, names, future things alluded to that then become this book. So the, I'm always doing that because that's – you just – you end up with so many ideas when you research and, and write that you have to just kind of you have to pay them forward because you, you right. don't ever throw anything away. You just you use it later. So so I have fun doing that, and you know it's it, it it's fun whether however the audience reacts. If they react, that's a good thing. If they don't react, then they weren't touched or moved or care. Right. I mean, and. That's something too. So you know, I know that you write a lot of your books as, as standalones, but reading them in order enables you to to see those little Easter eggs that you kind of put in the books, and then you kind of go forward. Because if you read, you know, uh, some maybe something ahead of time, you, you kind of have to go back and kind of figure out what that is, and and those are the and those are the fun parts. But you can read, you know, I know that you've talked about this before, you, you can still read your books as standalones, and you don't have to read them in any really specific order. A lot of people do like to read them in an order, but you kind of write them right. so they don't technically have to. Yeah, you know, there's a, you almost have to do that, because you'd never know when someone's going to pick up your book. What you need to do sure. is, you, you know, jump in the pool anywhere, and, you know, if you like the characters, you won't be lost because they're written as standalone. So you're not going to be lost. You're not going to be standing there at somebody else's high school reunion. Um, I wouldn't do that. So there's enough, there's enough backstory to satisfy a new reader. There's, uh, there's enough and it's sparse enough to not bore my core readers that have been there since the beginning. So there's a little balance in there. Uh, my editor and publisher, you know, are, we're real vigilant with that. And we tweak a lot of things. Um, to make sure that it's it has the right balance for new and old readers. Um, one thing my publisher did do is that when I, and I did allude to this book at the end of Aftershock, that Aftershock is coming out next week in paperback. So as kind of a, a kind of another avenue for readers, if, if you want to, if you want the real, the, the, the follower, the, the book that led to Speed the Dawn, it is Aftershock. It's going to come out in paperback. One thing today is that if I don't know if people um, are familiar with BookBub, and I know a lot of people are, but if you can sign up at BookBub and you can go to BookBub.com and 
there one of your books today is actually on sale um it's uh the second one coda coda black is actually on sale today and so people can go out and kind of you know get a little taste i mean it's book two and i think it's only like a dollar 99 get it on the kindle and then kind of you know get themselves ready for march 6 with you know speed the dawn so that's something that is is very is very cool that that's going on right now i you know i do Code Black was the was book number two, and it was it, it was a it was a great experience. Um, you know, as a novelist, a beginning novelist, you don't don't really know what I was doing, and you know, I was terrified I was going to be like a just a you know a one book wonder and just fade away. <laughs> so, uh-huh. Code Black was such validation. Um, it was a Minnesota Book Award finalist. It was optioned for Hollywood, though a movie was never made. But it was. It is uh, it's a it's the book that made me a best-selling novelist, and and it is it's a fast-paced book. It takes place in six hours, the entire book. So it's not light reading before bed. Just be warned. Yep. You like them fast, so ones, man. Well, I you know those are the books that got me revved up when I was young, and yeah. I'd read, and I just you know, and I couldn't like I can't I can't go to sleep now. It's always it's only 3 a.m. And, you know, if I could just read another 45 minutes, you know, I can still get enough sleep to maybe make it to class. And, and I love yeah. those books. And so, you know, you end up wanting to write the books you love. And, and uh, Code Black is a, is also my first full-on aviation thriller. Um, as a professional pilot for 30 years, that's that's the book I wanted to write and kind of a, an homage to the, to, the, to the guys before me that were writing aviation thrillers and inspired me so i'm happy with that book i think everyone that that would risk 99 cents would uh, not be unhappy with that yeah and it's great that you know to kind of see like you said you know you had category five come out and then all of a sudden you hit code block and then bam you know philip donnelly starts starts rolling and it's also great to see that what you fell in love with you know you're able to kind of recreate um yourself and kind of be you know, in that realm. I mean, I think it's always cool when you see, you know, and I'll, and I'll like talk music is when you see like people, you know, younger kids maybe be uh, growing up loving a band like, you know, like Kiss and then all of a sudden older and they're playing in Kiss. You know, it's like, right. like it's like kind of like a surreal thing and you're kind of in that same realm. But, you know, speak about when you said that book was one of, you know, was the one that kind of put your name on the map what do do you know anything specific was it the story was it the writing was it something specific that you think it is and that you were able to bring forward throughout the series that kind of kept that success rolling well it was category 5 was initially um going to be published by a publisher that went out of business right before uh-huh. category 5 was to come out and just left me high and dry and i got the rights back and so I didn't know if this book was ever going to, if Category 5 was ever going to see the light of day. And, and a very, very special guy by the name of Vince Flynn kind of took me under his wing and mentored me a little bit and gave me some great advice. And then he read the book. And then he said, self-publish this. He says, he, he told me I had the gift, self-publish, you'll never regret it. And I and I listened to him and I did it. So as a self-published first novelist my my opportunities were a little limited so but through the Vince's words um, it wasn't too long after category five came out that a publisher came bought the paperback rights uh, and they encouraged me and bought the rights to code black which was already in progress so it was you know it was from gloom and doom to I'm standing there holding an arc to a publisher that doesn't exist anymore with category five to, you know, Vince Flynn's endorsement on the book. It's out. It, the next one's coming out. It was, it was a, it was a whirlwind and it was, uh, and all of this happened when I lived in Minneapolis and I have to tip of my hat to, to the Minneapolis art community because they're all wonderful people. And, uh, mm-hmm. they really did kind of help me go you know, keep going through all of that. And, and, uh, you know, it's been, it's, it's been one of the most gratifying experiences in my life is, is, is and especially with book eight coming out now, it's uh, Vince was right. And we lost him way too soon. Oh yeah. I, I was luckily, I was able to interview him one time. 
Um, and I used to live in Minnesota, and so we talked some Minnesota stuff, some Viking football, and what great guy. And it was, you know, yeah. lost, you know, lost wealth, you know, way, way too soon. Um, you know, and, and boy, he'd be, you know, the, the genre that's going on right now in, in military thrillers. I mean, in this category is just is going crazy. So uh, I see books all the time um, in that genre. <laughs> so I mean, it would have been, and I think his books still come out, and I think his. Uh, the movie American Assassin. Uh, I think that was on. I think that was about his. Uh, that was that was his character. Um, right, Rap. Yeah. I believe. Miss Rap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, I watched that and I and I liked it and I I, I you know it's uh, it, it was fun and I had to kind of smile at the very end. There was a there was a, a, a naval engagement and the, they they named the destroyer that was steaming out to the rescue it was the was the USS Flynn. And I had a little smile at that, but uh, yeah, he's you know he wrote good stuff and and uh, and he was a good guy. I you know I'm not the only author he helped. There was there's a bunch of us. So he was oh yeah he was very great. gracious. So what do you got going forward coming up? I mean, what's you know what's on your uh, what's on your radar? Well, you know, Donovan Nash is always on my radar, and I'm and uh, but I'm, I'm tinkering with some other some other options. Um, you know, I've gotten to a point now where I can, you know, it's like I can, I feel like I can kind of take a breath, like, okay, you know, Donovan's not going anywhere, the, you know, it's like I've got a publisher that likes me, and, and uh, so, you know, because I wrote, when I started with Oceanview, who's my current publisher, I wrote six books in six years, and and that's, that's, that's working, um, I will have, to, I will say, or, no more organized than I am, it's, it's actually more of a miracle, so, um, I am not taking a break, but I am, I am tinkering with some different options and, but there, but there are more books in, in the pipeline. So, so we'll just leave it at that for now. Now, are you going to, so are you going to do one book a year or are you maybe going to try to do two? Do you have any idea about anything like that? No, I would, you know, I'd the pace again, one year is a lot for me, uh, by the time okay. you do the research and and write the thing, and then you and and then you start into the with the PR for the book you wrote last year. Um, it's you know I think a, a twelve month sort of cycle works for me, um, and I I can't imagine changing that at this point. Yeah, is there something is there something uh, with Donovan that you feel that could be coming up in the future, whether it's the next book or down the road, of of something that you would like to see him do that you haven't been able to maybe get it to really work right, or you haven't been able to maybe figure out the best way to kind of do it. Um, is there some idea or something maybe they're going to take him that's going to be a little bit off the beaten path? You know, it, there, one one reoccurring thought that I have, and and, and I have to be patient, but um, I would love to see Donovan and his adult daughter in the mix because um, she's a pretty exceptional kid and she is still a kid. So there's, so there has to be some, there has to be some years that go by before she, I can even remotely, you know, make her a college graduate and, and wanting to join the family business and, and maybe finding out the family secret. And, and so there's some of those aspects. And I think maybe it's just because my son has grown up that, that makes me want to want to kind of kind of dream about, about that, uh, lineup of characters and 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 see Donovan in fifteen years and and Lauren and and uh, but that that book has to wait. So there's you know there's a character uh, Montero is her name and she is she is a handful. She's just she is a handful and I I love her. I love writing her. She was a she was kind of the bad guy in, in the first book and then she kind of turned around and and now she's one of the good guys and one of the best characters I have. I would like to maybe you know see a spinoff of of her. Um, oh, easily carry carry a book and uh, and there are some things that happen with her in Speed the Dawn that would further uh, catapult that possibility. So cool. I'm always thinking, you know, I think about it all the time. So who knows? That's kind what, of fun. What? Uh, oh, it is. It's the it's the best part. That's kind it's, of fun to to write a character and then to all of a sudden you didn't really know what they were going to do. And then to kind of sit there and go, wow, I think they could maybe do their own series. <laughs> well, it's she is a standout. I mean, even and I write very strong female characters, yeah. and I think I think that is is one of the smartest things I accidentally did. But it's I mean, I like smart people, so they're my characters are smart. Critics 
critics make mention of that, and and they like that aspect about my books, and and they also mention that I don't use any bad language, and I and I don't. Um, mm-hmm. I use a lot while while I'm writing, um, just from the author's standpoint. But the books. Well, don't your books have are so fast. Your characters don't have a lot of time to really cuss. <laughs> they get too much other stuff going on. Time. I know. They don't have time to, to kiss or have sex or swear. They just right. I mean, you got a book in six hours to 12 hours. I mean, hell, the book opens up and it's like, here you go, gunshots off, start rolling. You got six hours, exactly. it's midnight, you get done before 6 a.m. <laughs> exactly. Race the sun. <laughs> exactly. So that's kind of cool. But, hey, I'll tell you what, fella, why don't you let everybody know the best way to kind of find you um, – and, you know, your websites or social media and all those fun little aspects you got to give out now. Well, it's, I have a website. It's, it's just philipdonnelly.com, and, um, or you can just Google any of my books, Speed the Dawn, Code Black, Aftershock. I should pop up. That You should be able to find me there. Um, anybody that wants to email me, there's an email address on the website. Um, I see all those. So if you want to... If you want to, to reach me, have a comment or whatever, I'd love to hear that. And, um, yeah, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all the usual outlets uh, for the books. Speed the Dawn awesome. will be released October 6th. Hardcover awesome. Well, hey, hey, I'll tell you what, man. It has been, uh, it's been a pleasure to speak with you again. And like we, you kind of mentioned, you kind of reminded me that, you know, we sat next to each other about three, four years ago, I think, at PNWA. Um, at the table that we had, so it was great uh, to finally catch up again and see, you know, your career and, and Donovan Nash, you know, just staying big. Good luck with book nine and and on in the future, and can't wait to see when you finally work out your plans about what your next book's going to be. So good luck. Thanks so much, John. I appreciate it. All right, you have a good one, fellas. Bye bye. Okay, you too. Bye bye. So again, everybody, that is author Philip Donnelly, and you want to make sure you go to philipdonnelly.com. That's D-O-N-L-A-Y. Dot com. His latest book is Speed the Dawn, comes out March the 6th, so you got a little less than a month away. It's book eight in the Donovan Nash series. Gives you time to go out, like I said, and you can get book two, Code Block, 99 cents. I mean, it's a heck of a deal. And, uh, you know, kind of see, uh, for 99 cents, you're able to see Philip's style. You're able to get into it, and then all of a sudden you realize you get seven more books you can start reading and get into, and that's something that's always cool. Um, so make sure you want to go, you know, check that out. We're going to take a short break and we will be back, hopefully, here with our next guest, Brad Taylor. Um, we booked this a little while ago. Hopefully, he didn't forget to call in. And we will be right back after this. So, here you go.
So welcome back, everybody, here after the break. Just got a hold of Brad. He's going to be calling back on a landline. and got a hold of his cell phone. Um, that way we can actually hear him and not have to worry about the, the call being dropped or whatnot. So we're just on a hold right now until he calls in. Um, in fact, here he is right now. So without any further ado, Mr. Brad Taylor with his latest book, Operator Down. Brad, we want to thank you so much for coming on, man. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Hey, um, so it's good to be able to talk to you again. I mean, we talked to you some, uh, some time ago. I remember, I think it was around book two of, of, um, of uh, the, the Pike Logan series. It might have been like One Rough Man or, or even further you know, back. But um, I want to thank you again for taking the time to talk with us because to follow your career has been outstanding, and I'm sure you pinch yourself you know, kind of a lot going, wow, can't believe how fast this kind of – your, your career kind of went faster than your book's right, I guess you want to say, right? Yeah, I'd actually, no one's more surprised than me. Uh, I was doing two books a year for a while there, and uh, it was uh, a demanding pace, but uh, it certainly worked out. Yeah, and now you're an operator down, and so you've kind of, you know, you, you, got, you got Pike Logan. I mean, you always like to throw him in, in these situations that you don't think he's going to be able to get out of. So why don't you give everybody a little taste about what you did here with him in Operator Down? Yeah, actually, like I just said, I, I went from uh, two books a year, and I decided to, to take it down a notch. And this is the first book, and well, I went one book a year, and I had some time to think about it. And so I decided to do uh, – I wanted to do three things. I wanted to bring Aaron and Shoshana back, uh, which were some Israeli assassins that ended up being uh, some fan favorites. I was planning on killing them in the first book, and they ended up uh, working out. So <laughs> fans love them, so I wanted to bring them back. Okay. I wanted to make it a more personal story. Um, the last book, Ring of Fire, was a gigantic uh, terrorist attack against the ports. Um, the book before that, Ghost of War, was you know World War III. So I wanted to make it a more personal story, neck it down a little bit, and I wanted to go somewhere I hadn't been before. So um, that's basically what was my going in position. Yeah, and you know when you're when you're when you're deciding to kind of get into it and write another book, what's one of the one aspects that you want to make sure that your um, I guess you want to say that you know that your readers always always make sure it kind of comes across because you're you're, you're kind of writing in a genre that a lot of people will never, ever experience. I mean, you kind of only hear things in the news. You kind of hear little snippets and stuff like that. So how, how is it, you know, that human side, that emotion side that you're trying to get across to people to understand, to really kind of live it how, how it really is since you were in it? Well, I definitely try to do that. I mean, it's not a conscious decision. I, what I don't like is uh, too often in Hollywood, it's, you know, the, the, the um, protagonist is superhuman. He's, uh, he never makes mistakes. Everything he does for the good, and if he, you know, you just let me drill this guy's kneecap, everything would be great. That kind of stuff. Right. And in the real world, in combat, the, uh, I mean, mistakes happen, and you live with those mistakes. You make a good call or a bad call. And uh, I try to show the moral compass of the operator on the ground, and that, that, you know, not everything is black and white. And when you know, like you know, when Pike Logan or someone on the team kind of makes a mistake. Is it something that, again, so it's not, is it's not something that maybe is a conscious? Is it something that kind of surprises you as an author when you're kind of writing? And maybe, you know, uh, other authors have always talked about when you write yourself into a corner, that's where you always come up with your best kind of ideas. Does that kind of happen with you in, in your process? Uh, it does, not necessarily with the mistakes, but I do. I definitely write myself into a corner uh, where it's, uh, especially like an operator down for the ending of the book, I had so many balls in the air. I was like, how am I going to finish this? I mean, I could have ended it right there with the, the um, one scene, and I was like, there's too many things outstanding. And to solve those problems, it's, it was a gigantic – you know, you don't want Pike to be walking along and find a key on the ground and go, oh, there's a safe deposit box, save the day. I mean, it's got to be realistic. It's got to right. be – when you're writing a story, the, the hardest thing I've learned is Pike's going to do one thing. Well, you need to explain why he didn't do the eight million other things he could have done because, you know, in the real world, you're driving a car and you – see a cat and you swerve and you hit a guardrail. Well, you do that in a book and it'd be like, oh, that's a convenient cat. So you've got to uh, figure out exactly why he did this and, and it's got to be realistic. Yeah. And, and, that's the, and that's the one part that I think a lot of people really love about, you know, like your stories and, and a lot of some of the other authors in this genre, which is why you guys stay really popular and you continue to gain more fans, is your writing ability of being able to put people in that setting, and it's a very difficult thing for authors to do. I mean, you can write about, you know, 1840s London, but to actually make people think they're in it, that's a totally different kind of thing. And so has that always been like kind of a, 
something that was that a challenge for you early on? Something that you got more comfortable in doing, making that realization, making people feel like they're there, and maybe taking the bullets and feeling the pain. Well, it, it, it certainly is a challenge. It's, it's a ton of research. I mean, for every book I write, if I can get on the ground and what we used to call sight, sound, smells at a battlefield, if I could experience what the terrain is like, then I'll definitely do it. For instance, for Operator Down, I went all over Israel, Haifa, uh, Tel Aviv, uh, um, you know, Jerusalem. I ended up in Cape Town, South Africa, up in Johannesburg, and I went to the country of Lesotho, all over the place to figure out just what is it that's unique about this place. Because you... Google Maps, Google Earth, none of that's going to show it to you. You get on the ground and you learn so much that you can put it in the book and actually put the reader there. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and this is book 12, man. I mean, you're, you're, you're now you, – one more, you got the Baker's Dozen going on. I mean, that's yeah. a lot of research. That's a lot of places that you've had to go and you've had to visit. And, you know, how much of that, um, you know, real-life stuff that, that, that you went through that, you know, are still showing up in, in the books today? Well, for this book, believe it or not, quite a bit. I usually say uh-huh. that there's uh, 50% I'm looking for when I go on a research trip and 50% is looking for me that I don't even realize is there, but it finds me. In this case, I was out doing research for uh, the book is going to be a coup in Lesotho, and so I was going to use a special forces unit that's the Lesotho Defense Force, and so I was trying to figure out where they were, and uh, I got rolled up as an American spy, and I got interrogated for about six and a half hours. Learned a lot about Lesotho, and it all ended up in the book. Now, so... You got so you so you were just kind of doing along doing research, and someone was like, "Okay, you're doing a little bit too much research. You're not writing a book. You're doing something else." And they're trying to figure out what that was. I mean, how scary was that? Uh, it was yeah, it was pretty nerve wracking because I, I mean I didn't do anything to cover myself, which was stupid. Uh, since the book was about a coup in Lesotho, all my notes were about a coup. Every photo I had was a, you know something related to a coup. There weren't any tourist photos on my camera. I had a picture of the prime minister's <laughs> residence from a moving vehicle, so you can tell it, I, you know, it was some kind of snapshot. And in the photo is a sign saying no photos. So I had a, a lot of incriminating stuff on me. <laughs> That's good. And so and they, now how do they just pick you up for something like that? I mean, how do, they, how do you get kind of on a radar for them to figure out what you're doing? Well, there was not enough. That I couldn't find any information on the Little Soto Defense Force on the Internet, obviously. They don't have a whole lot there. Sure. And so I was trying to figure it out on the ground, and I found a military post. And I went up to the gate where a guy was patrolling it and started asking him questions, which was pretty stupid. But <laughs> he was answering them. Yeah, special forces here, they're over there, they're this. And the next thing I knew, two SUVs rolled up and put me in the bag. Well, and, I mean, you're just doing it – I mean, you're doing something that's so, like, benign to yourself. You're like, no, I'm literally just, you know, learning how to write a book. And they're like, yeah, we don't believe you, so you're going to come with us and figure this out. That, I, that, well, I, mean, I didn't tell them cool. I was writing a book. There's no way I wanted them to Google my uh, bio. They were pretty oh. paranoid. There was a special forces team on the ground. My bio was, you know, full of special forces stuff, oh, uh, and they were convinced I was part of that team. If they'd seen my bio, I mean, they said my passport was fake and all kinds of stuff. And I was like, boy, if they Google me, I'm never getting out of here. Damn, that's the scary shit. <laughs> so, now the other thing that you know, that like I've never heard of that group before. So, for the average person like me. How would, you know, when you're writing about a group that, you know, no one's really ever heard about, you know, instead of like the Taliban, the Al-Qaeda, you know, ISIS, the ones that are always in the news a lot, how is, the, how is someone like me who doesn't understand, who doesn't even know who they are or where they're from or what they're doing, you know, how am I supposed to, you know, I guess kind of get involved and, and, or understand like, wow, there's a lot of other groups out there that I just have no idea about. Oh, yeah. The, uh, the State Department, and I made a charter for the task force, my fictional counterterrorist unit, and part of their charter is they can only target groups that are on the State Department's foreign terrorist organization list, which they put out every year, and they list every terrorist group that we designate as a terrorist group. And right now there's over 60 of them on there. But the truth of the matter is we in America don't hear about them just because they don't make the news here, but they're certainly making the news everywhere else. For instance, in uh, Days of Rage, I used Boko Haram. Nobody ever heard of Boko Haram. Well, the book came out, and um, then Boko Haram kidnapped all those girls, and now they were all over the news. Uh, but, right. you know, they were like, oh, Brad, you know, predicted the future. Well, the truth is they've been lopping off heads since 2009. They just didn't make the United States news cycle. They're out there. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, and there's, you know, how do you, I mean, do you, you just find it just from your research, I guess, or not from your research, but from your own experience of being involved in that, you just kind of know where to go look and what to do and, and where to find them. And, I mean, I guess there's, Unlimited stories well, to kind of tell from those aspects. 
I still do a lot of security consulting, and so I spend about an hour and a half every day just keeping my finger on the pulse. I get feeds and news from all over the world, basically. Uh, it's not hard to see, and I still, like when I do security consulting, you know, you're hearing things left and right about various groups. And there's tons of splinter groups that come out. Uh, I mean, the Taliban itself has got six or seven splinter groups. Haqqani Network is probably the most famous one that people may or may not have heard of, but they're all over the place, and uh, they're all doing bad things. And a lot of them, uh, I mean, ISIS makes the news because they cut off people's heads on social media, but there's a, plenty of groups out there that are, that are hell-bent on doing harm. Now, and just to, now, when you say splinter groups, you're talking about a group that kind of broke off of the main group and is doing something else because of their ideology or the things that they do? No, it's uh, kind of a combination. When you talk about terrorism, they're all – the perception is reality. So everybody wants to join – they want you to join their group. So in order to join their group, you have to have a perception of strength. So what happens is you'll generally have some kind of group that forms up and is doing something, say, in Libya. Well, they get bigger and bigger, and um, they want to have all this esteem. So then they, as you call them, they were, you know, jihadi John's social club at once. Well, then they pledge fealty to al-Qaeda, pledge fealty to ISIS, and now they become ISIS and al-Qaeda. Well, they were actually a different group to begin with, and they still had whatever motivations they had. They're just taking that banner because that's the banner of the day. Gotcha. So now that you're in Book 12, how – and you kind of look back with, you know, One Rough Man and now through Operator Down. How has Pike Logan kind of changed as a character from when he started to, to kind of where he is now? I mean, going through all these missions and, and everything that you've kind of put him through, he's had to have been, you know, a lot of broken, a lot of stuff that he's, that he's had to kind of go through. And, and, and how has he changed? How are, you know, how are readers going to see a different Pike Logan in this one than he did, you know, kind of in the last one? Well, he's actually gone – he's gotten better. And one rough man, he was uh, – his moral compass was broken. He was completely shattered, and he was basically a bad guy with lethal skills. Uh, not a bad guy, but more of an amoral guy. And mm-hmm. he's slowly grown back into what he once was before, uh, and now he's kind of a uh, pure operator right now. He's back in his game. And so when, when, when kind of fans pick up, uh, you know, operator down, they're going to look back and they're going to kind of sit there and, and kind of see – a more confident, like you said, kind of more confident Pike Logan and his team moving forward? Yeah, definitely. He's, I mean, he's back on his game. and he's got, I mean, the same thing with his partner, Jennifer Cahill. When she started out, she was absolutely black and white. There are good things and there are bad things. There are, um, uh, it's kind of the duality of uh, Emmanuel Kant had uh, categorical imperatives and uh, John Stuart Mills had uh, uh, utilitarianism. One utilitarianism is do whatever is the greatest good for the people around you. So it doesn't matter what the morality of it is. If it helps the greatest number of people, then that's the good thing. Categorical comparative is some things are good in and of themselves. So like mm-hmm. law of land warfare is all categorical comparatives. Thou shalt not – I mean the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill. That's a categorical comparative. Uh, the West Point Creed, you know, cadet will not lie, cheat, or steal. It doesn't say cadet will not steal a loaf of bread if it's going to feed a starving family. That would be utilitarianism. And so there's a duality that goes on. It happens in – you know, national defense all the time. So, yes, John McCain, he'd say, we'll never, ever, ever, ever torture, ever torture. That's a categorical comparative. Well, when you ask somebody else, well, if there's a nuclear bomb in New York City, would you torture? He says, yes, well, you just entered the greater good. Uh, and so she was really categorical comparative at the beginning of the book uh, in One Rough Man. There's some things she just would never do just because it's morally wrong. And she's kind of grown to be more like Pike where, okay, if there's some greater good here, I'll do it. Right. It's kind of, you know, you always kind of look at, you, you see that moral compass in, in one of the in one of the TV shows that you know a lot of people know, which is 24. You know, you would see Jack Bauer pushing the envelope, and a lot of people are like, no, 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 you can't do that. And he's like, yeah, screw you, yeah, I can because I don't want to kill 20 million fucking people. So if I have to hurt one, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah, and that's kind of <laughs> that's what I was talking about earlier because there's a lot of times yeah. Jack Bauer has the the Hollywood knowledge of knowing absolutely sure. perfectly that this guy is the bad guy. In the real world, you don't know that. In the real world, you right. get a guy, and you think he's a bad guy, but you don't really know. His name is Abu Baghdadi. Is he the mechanic he claims to be, or is he Abu Baghdadi in charge of ISIS? And you don't know. I mean, right. I've been plenty of times interrogating guys. It's like, is this guy telling me the truth? Or I mean, you just don't know. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's the one thing that is difficult, um, uh, you know, in the Muslim, in the Muslim uh, community. There are so many names that are the same. And so, like you well, said, Acuna, you have to kind they of all take Acuna. Out. And, uh, Acuna yeah. is usually somebody that's famous in the past, so Abu Bakr, Abu Baghdadi, things like that. And so there's like 100 Abu Bakrs. So you're tracing a guy nicknamed Abu Bakr, well, there's probably 50 of them in the city. Right. And that's, and that's, so you've got to figure out, where, like you said, like which one is right. 
Now, the one thing, when people go to your website, bradtaylorbooks.com, let everybody know to go to bradtaylorbooks.com and, and make sure you, you know, check it out. But the one thing they're also going to notice are these task force short story books that you wrote. So not only were you writing two books a year, but you were throwing some short stories in there. I guess you just wanted to fill some time because you had some, you know, I guess some leftover time during your career, you know, during <laughs> your year. <laughs> so how did these kind of books kind of come about, and, and what are they, and, and what are people going to get when they decide to grab one? They're uh, they're more character development story. I mean, they still have a plot and everything like that. But the um, it was just a chance for me to, to add some character development, some backstory, some of the characters. And they don't follow chronology like the books do. So one rough man starts it, and it comes up to operator down. Those are sequentially spaced. But the first short story I wrote, the call sign, I wrote it after book four, and it's actually set before one rough man. So they kind of mm-hmm. skip around, and it's uh, a backstory like call sign is how Knuckles got his call sign, uh, things like that. So it's just so what it is is that it's just an extension and a depth percent and depth on you know the whole Pope, uh, Pike Logan series. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I I just wrote uh, the Infiltrator, which is uh, Aaron and Shoshana in the in the book Operator Down. This is the first time this has happened. In the book Operator Down, um, I mentioned they got married and there's something that happened at the wedding, but I don't get into it. It's not nowhere in the story. And as I finished the book up in the back of my head, I was like. What could have happened at that wedding? What would that have been? And so I wrote a short mm-hmm. story about it. Okay, yeah, and and that's you know, and that's the great thing I believe that you know Kindle has done, being able to give the ability to kind of write those kind of short stories and get those, uh, I guess you want to say you know get those stories out that you would never have a chance, you know, maybe 20 years ago when everything had to be paperback and everything had to be print, that now you're able to kind of bring those things out and make these characters so much, give them so much more depth than they ever had before. Yeah, and that's that's the truth because you know a short story is not cost effective to print. You'd have to sell it for the same price as a regular paperback. Yeah. Who wants to pay for that for a short story? So I am talking to my publisher about it. we've got enough now to bind them all up into a book. We might do that. Yeah, and that's and that'll be cool. I mean, do you have any thoughts of you know? Are there any characters in the Pike Logan series that you can say you know what you want to explore more and maybe give them like their own story or something like a little outside? Are those any plans for that? Uh, I, I have done that in the short stories. Um, there's right. a couple of short stories. One's just got Knuckles and Decoy in it completely. I'm going to give away a spoiler here, but I I whacked Decoy in one of the books, and I really regretted it. I wished I hadn't, but, you know, combat's <laughs> real and people die. And I um, I got a lot of fan backlash, and so I made kind of a tribute short story for him. <laughs> but, you know, you can always go do more backstory with him, I guess. You can always kind of bring him back. In the, you know, you can't do anything in the future, but, you know, the past is still always there. Yeah, yeah, and then I'd uh, except when he comes in, it'd be kind of hard for me to do that because he, he would be outside the task force. It'd be a whole different stream. Yeah, it'd be so, and, you know, it, it'd be it'd be something that could be challenging, but you just never know. I mean, fans when fans scream, man, they sometimes don't shut up. Um, yeah, I'm glad I didn't whack Aaron and Shoshana. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> that was smart. <laughs> you'd have some pretty shitty email, I guess. You'd be like, I don't want to open my email today. I don't want to open it today. Yeah. <laughs> now, so. When people come up to you and you you know and you got the, you always have the question of course because there's 12 books and people are finding out and they always see you know where do you kind of tell them to start? Do you kind of say start at the beginning? Do you say you can kind of jump in anywhere? Maybe read the backs of the books and find a synopsis or something that you kind of find entertaining. Kind of start there. How, how do you answer that for them? Uh, well, if they're if they're asking my advice, I'll say you know if you're gonna pick one, go ahead and pick One Rough Man. But the truth is, you could pick any book. Any book you pick up, they're all standalone. You're not gonna. You're not going to read anything in the book and say, I don't understand what's going on here. Uh, the most you'll get if you read, like, Operator Down, you might get a spoiler from a previous book because they are living in the Pike Logan universe, and so they'll, they might discuss something that happened in a previous book, but it doesn't really affect the plot. Right. Is there one book in particular that, you know, might have been a little bit more challenging for you? You kind of look back at it and say, you know, I, I don't want to uh, – that was, that was a little too challenging, maybe a little more than you – you know, kind of bit off. You pulled it off, but it was just one of those things that just drove you crazy to try to get it done. Uh, there was probably two. Ghosts of War, which was a, it's a much bigger tapestry. It's the fault line of the old Cold War, and it's, it has a lot of uh, more of a, a Tom Clancy feel of uh, major muscle movements of, of uh, Europe and Putin and Poland and, you know, the 82nd Airborne going in. That was, that was pretty challenging to write. But the last book, Ring of Fire, was challenging because uh, it involved the ports, and I had a whole plan on how I was going to do it. And then, you know, when you start doing the research and you start writing it, so you've got a boat that's coming into port. Well, you've got this fast-paced plot, and you've got this, you know, screaming 
plot and racing towards a conclusion. Well, the boat's slow. I mean, he's just putting along. Yeah. And so you, you got to, you know, I'm sitting there thinking, well, how am I going to solve this problem? Because on the one hand, if Pike solves the problem, what's the simple solution? Is there going to be big fireworks? No, you call the captain and say, you just stay out at sea. We don't want you to come in. Well, that's not sexy. On the other hand, if you, right. the only way to get him in there is he doesn't solve the problem and it blows the whole port up. So that was kind of challenging to figure out. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the same thing where authors say, you know, I, I talked with a couple of them that have always said, yeah, we know that, t- you know, DNA can take, you know, 30 days, but how am I supposed to write that in a book? I mean, right. <laughs> what are they going to do, just all sit around for 30 days and they're just sitting there waiting? It's like you can't jump. So it's like, you know, you kind of have to suspend a little disbelief to kind of make the, you know, you got to kind of force the action a little bit, you know, going on because, you know, when you're writing in this genre, I mean, you can't stop. I mean, your pace has to be, at a speed of light kind of kind of pace, and is that something that you know you're you're comfortable with doing, or is that something that you still kind of you know, like you say, you know, you want to try to slow things down, but you can't slow things down because then it kind of puts that little speed bump in the book, and you're like, God, I don't want that speed bump in there. Yeah, it's a, it's a challenge, and I don't slow things down. I, for uh, Ring of Fire, I just had to figure out how to solve the problem. Basically, what I did was add more plot points. Uh, so once that boat left Algeciras. Spain, it's going to take him seven days to get to Port of L.A., uh, I had to figure out, okay, i got to occupy seven days, basically. Yeah. I mean, Ghost of War was one that you brought up that I thought was really, that, that I liked, because it brought me back to the time, you know, in the 80s, um, in the early 80s and the late 70s when I was, you know, growing up, and, and I remember hearing, you know, all the Cold War and everything, and, and it was a really, really tense time, and you would always hear, you know, is it you know, on the brink of this or on the brink of this, and you just didn't know what was going on. So I found that that was, like, really close to home. You know, is there a book for you that you have that sense of, like, it really is close because either you lived through it or either, you know, it was a childhood or something that happened that, you know, you kind of feel that emotion and the reader feels it when you write it because it was emotional for you? Uh, I, this is going to sound like a tried answer, but just about every book I write. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I write what I would want to read. So, and you have to care about the characters. It, the plot, I write military thrillers. If I'd have been a priest, then Pike would have been taking confession. If I'd have been a cop, he'd have been writing tickets. The characters are what matter. So, I mean, a bomb going off in a parking lot, who cares? You only care because somebody's going to get hurt. And so I put all that into every book I write. It's all, I, I try to get, uh, elicit emotions in every one of them. Mm-hmm. And so do you think that if, if a regular American were kind of be able to pull back the curtain on some of the, the secret of things that, you know, you might have known or seen, would they be scared? Uh, no, I mean, I'm not scared. <laughs> I've seen it. So. Well, that's because you lived it. But I mean, like someone like me, where, you know, I'd be like, I didn't know that that shit was really going on. I thought I was just, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not, uh, I, I wouldn't say people would, should be scared. I mean, the odds of you getting uh, attacked by a terrorist are pretty darn low in the United States. So it's, uh, I mean, I, the, the actions happen, and I write those actions, but it's not, uh, it's not, uh, um, something the average person needs to worry about every day right i guess you know i guess it's just something to kind of stay vigilant i guess when you start looking at something that maybe happened like in the las vegas shooting and and things of those natures you know those are kind of the real life things that i think that with an author you were trying to bring that to life i think that would really elicit a big emotional response to people yeah it would and obviously for obvious reasons yeah so you're gonna so you're staying with one book a year now, so we can kind of figure that your next one's gonna come out what uh, January of next year, right around that time. You have another short yeah. coming out. What's the future hold for you? Uh, I've already done the book research for the next book, and I'm writing it right now. And uh, as you know, as usual, I'm stuck. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm staring yeah, at my I mean, computer right now. Thing. Yeah, because you're, you're talking about a book you wrote a year ago, even though the book just came out a month ago, because you're already on to the next one, so your brain is kind of in that one. So sometimes it's a little bit, you know, kind of difficult to kind of, you know, go back. Do you have like a huge board that you can sit there and say, okay, I've got to make sure that I don't screw things up, and, you know, because you have things that have gone through now through 12 books, that you're like, okay, I've got to make sure i got the right car or the right color or the right food or the right thing, because fans are going to remember and they're going to nail you for it if you screw it up. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, and I'll give you a prime example. In uh, No Fortunate Son, uh, Kurt Hale, commander of the task force, is, is a, a bachelor, and he's got a niece, which is the main part of the plot. And um, my wife said, I thought Kurt Hale was married. And I'm like, no, he's my guy. I know he's not married. Well, and I got emails from one rough man. What happened to Kurt's wife? <laughs> so, I was like, oh, you didn't hear? She got run over by a car yeah. delivering orphans some cookies. You know? Yeah, <laughs> those damn Girl Scouts. <laughs> 
So, so well, I, hey. I don't have a board. I should have one, but what I end up doing every single time because I always kick myself because you're writing a single book. I'm too lazy to do the board. I'll end up pulling up manuscripts from the past. Uh, for instance, I was writing Aaron Shoshana for um, Operator Down. Well, I have to go back to the original book. What did I say they looked like to make sure that yep. they weren't, you know, five foot two in one book and now six foot five in another? Yeah. And what kind of um, conferences are you hitting this year? What's your schedule look like that people maybe can uh, shake your hand and say hello? Uh, well, I'm going to be in North Carolina on March 2nd at uh, Farmville at the bookstore there with Mark Greeny's book. Actually, Mark Greeny writes a Gray Man series. He's going to be on yeah. tour for his new Gray Man series that's coming out February 20th, and I'm going to link up with him. Other than that, I'll probably be at Thriller Fest this year in New York City. And uh, I mean, I still have a lot of security consulting to do and books to write. So Thriller Fest is one of the main places you go to every year, though, right? I know I've seen yeah, you there a couple yeah, times. Yeah, I go there. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and, and that's one of the best, probably. And, you know, and that's. You know, for for the genre of people, like, I always tell people, if you have to go to one a year, make sure you go there because that's where you're going to find everybody. Well, there's some of the others I'd like to go to, but usually I'm on a security contract when it happens. Sure, like BoucherCon or Malice or Love Yeah, BoucherCon every like year. That. Every year BoucherCon falls on a security contract I'm on, and it's doing it again <laughs> next year. Oh, they are next year? Yeah, that's too bad. Well, hey, it's been, again, great to be able to talk to you again and you know your interview in the magazine is going to be out here any any day now we're going to have the magazine released so people are going to be able to read that and want to thank you again for for doing that with us and congratulations good luck can't wait to see what you got coming in the future and and you know wish you well my man all right thank you very much for having me i appreciate it all right stay safe have a good one brad all right bye 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 so again, everybody, that is best-selling author Brad Taylor. The latest book is called Operator Down, book 12 now in his Pike Logan thriller series. It's definitely an author that if you're involved in this genre and you don't have Brad Taylor on your bookshelf, then you are really calling yourself a fan of that genre because he's one of the most, you know, not only up-and-coming, I mean, God, he's, you know, he's, he's lead, one of the leaders now in the uh, military thriller genre right there with, you know, like the Brad Thors and, um, you know, like you just said, Mark Greeny writing Tom Clancy. So we want to thank, you know, Brad for coming on and Philip for coming on. Make sure you check out, you know, philipdonnelly.com and bradtaylorbooks.com for more information on all of their stuff coming up. We're going to be taking in a little extended break now because I'll be on vacation for a couple weeks. Um, we're going to have a Beyond the Cover here coming up on Tuesday the 13th, and the Story Blender will be back uh, next week too before I leave, so you'll be able to catch those. And Thriller Radio, I believe, is going to be sometime next week. And then we'll be back sometime after March 3rd when I'm back on vacation and uh, bring you some really great guests. we got some good things coming up here in the future, so make sure you guys stay tuned to everything that we got going on here because we got a show to match what you want to read and who you want to listen to. So until next time, everybody, want to say thanks so much. Enjoy. Until next time, have a good one. Bye-bye. <laughs>